Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Anna Lee. Anna is the co-founder and head of engineering at award-winning Lioness the women-led sexual wellness company that built the world's first and only smart vibrator that gives you orgasm and arousal data to help improve understanding of sexual pleasure through science. Before a lioness, Anna was previously a mechanical engineer at Amazon, launching the Dash Button's original concept and the Kindle Voyage page press technology. She has most recently been named Forbes 30 Under 30, featured in a full spread in the Times Magazine, and named Paper Magazine's Asian Women Creators You Need to Know. She is a big advocate in Lioness's mission to expand the research in sexual health and destigmatize female sexuality. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Anna, we're so excited to have you on the show. And just for more context of how we met, I think we met at like some LA event and everyone kept tapping my shoulder in my shoulders. They're like, you have to meet this girl named Anna. <laughs> And then I look around, I see, I see you like running around talking to a lot of people. I'm like, oh man, like there's no way I'm going to talk to you. But lo and behold, I'm so happy we have you, we have you here on the podcast today. We're so excited to dive deep into your story. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's always fun to talk about, I think, sex stuff um, mm-hmm. as much as it's like, ooh, scary and taboo, but I promise it's going to be so fun, so harmless. Like, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, it's Let's take it back to the beginning. Like, what was your upbringing like? Where'd you grow up? And what were you taught about entrepreneurship as a young child? Mm, that's a good question. So I, I grew up, I was born in LA, but when I was a baby, we moved back to Korea and then I lived there till six. So I always say like Korea is my first home. Um, and I like, you know, came back to America, not knowing English, so starting from ESL and all of that. But I grew up in kind of your traditional, really strict, uh, religious conservative family. Like we really came on this mindset of coming for the American dream and, um, my parents sacrificing their, you know, immigrating to the U.S. without knowing anything about U.S. culture or anything like that to give my brother and me a better opportunity in life. And so I really had this mindset of I wanted to be a good engineer. Like I always liked engineering and I was like, I want to be a good engineer. I'm going to end up in, you know, a corporate life. Like that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like that's what I was really set up to do. Um, so I was, uh, yeah. So like, uh, we never talked about sex. I tell this to people to this day is that 
well into like, I was like 23, 24, I was scared of my own body. Like I never talked about sex stuff with my partners. I definitely didn't have like the communication skills to do, like talk about what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, and so when we first started the company, I'm always, I wasn't ever the person in like, I was like, I'm just going to engineer stuff. Like I don't want to talk about clitorises or vaginas or orgasms or any of that. Like that's not, um, me. And so I always like to tell people that because we're seven years later. And so, um, I'm doing completely the opposite. So it's been a journey for me, but I, so I started out doing like engineering, um, mechanical engineering at Amazon. And I really felt like this was like the American dream of what I wanted to do. And I remember like, you know, a couple years in, I was like sitting in my cubicle and I was like, damn, is this what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life? Like, I just didn't feel like I was doing everything in terms of like what I was really passionate about or like things that made me super excited every morning. Um, and I met, ended up meeting a founder of a different sex toy company, which doesn't exist anymore. So I feel like I can talk about this company specifically. It was like, uh, it was a male founder. And I was like, how do you know what you're building works for people with vaginas? How do you know it's a good product? And he was like, there's this industry standard where you put the vibration on your nose. And that's what a clitoris feels like. And I just remember being like, oh my God, like, oh my God. <laughs> like the most intimate products is like made in the sense and if you go to like sex toy conventions a lot of times they'll be like oh put it on your nose or the skin between your thumb and pointer finger because there's like nerve endings there and like that's like the same thing as a clitoris and i remember just being like what a crazy industry and i realized it's super male dominated um so yeah honestly <laughs> could i have imagined where we are currently that it's a full business like we're running this company um, no, like I really thought I was like, I'm going to do this project for a little bit and see what it's like. And maybe I'll just like engineer it. I just want to be like a really good engineer. Um, so yeah, all of it's a little bit like a journey. I don't, I don't think any like company really happens overnight where you're like, I have this great idea. So even the vibrator, we are like, I want to make a cool vibrator, but I had no idea what that was going to end up being in terms of working in the research field, working in with doctors, working with in consumer tech, like just everything and uh, constantly battling, I think, taboos and policies and rules around like uh, selling sex toys. Wow, that is amazing. I thought it was so funny that you mentioned, um, you know, you meeting that one person and they said that the, the touch of the nose is similar. I, I just think that's the funniest thing. And that's the first time I've ever heard of that. But um, just really appreciate you sharing like your background. I think a lot of people, especially in our Asian Hustle Network community, can relate to your story a lot. You working at Amazon and just feeling like, is there is this like all there is to life, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> and making that jump is like the biggest thing. It, it is extremely, extremely hard. Um, but I, I do want to know, you know, you mentioned that your parents are very conservative. You came from a very conservative family. I want to know like what they thought about this whole thing and, um, you know, what was the reaction? I guess before we get yes. there, uh, I guess mm -hmm. before we get there, I'm really fascinated with the whole nose thing and the hand thing. Cause even I, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, you caught my attention. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, Every night you're gonna be like touching your nose. I'll be like, oh no, I'll be like, I'm like <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. Go I've heard like um on TikTok right now, there's this whole thing about like unripe uh, I won't even get into it, but like unripe avocados. So that's oh like, the whole thing. And I was just like, yeah, it's like these literally silly things. I understand it in the sense of we're just trying to like have things to like you know relate talk to. about it in a way to relate it yeah but yeah. it's so much of like man that's some misinformation like, <laughs> can can you make a tiktok video on that and just like rub your nose and be like guys you know is, this is wrong don't rub your nose and you get a pimple <laughs> so i actually totally made a tiktok about like this industry and that like it started out being like, oh yeah, it's like people put vibrations on your nose and then it got pulled down because they were like, this is sexual content. So I was like, oh, oh my gosh. God, we're talking about rubbing noses, but I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll send TikTok an email after this. TikTok, what is going on, uh, yeah. going on here? It's educational. <laughs> That's what I'm really here for is to, you know, be like, hey, TikTok, hey, Facebook, like <laughs> help us. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's just talk a little bit more about Maggie's question, right? Like how how did your parents mm. take your business idea? Because I, I know that, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, sexuality and Asian culture doesn't really mix. And we don't exactly have parents that talk to us about sex education, about having sex or sex pleasures. God knows, we never even get to sex pleasures. <laughs> so just, you, just, you just procreate, right? You just have kids. <laughs> you skip a bunch of steps to get there. <laughs> yeah, you're there like, get married first, then date, then have baby. I don't know, like all sorts of messed up stuff. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. I So I actually didn't tell. So I was, so I met my two co-founders who are working on this idea of an AI vibrator at the time. So it would like move and vibrate differently just as a robot being smarter. Um, and I was introduced to them from my roommate. And I always say like, the best thing to do in life is to like put things out there, like, and then manifest. And I was like, dude, I would want to work on a sex toy company one day. And then my roommate was like, wait, I know two people kind of working on this. So she introduced me to my, who are my two co-founders now. Um, but I, so at the time I was like, Hey, I just want to help. Like, I'm not asking for equity or pay. I was like, I just want to do it. I just think it's such a cool project. And so I was going to Amazon, um, to go to work. And then after work, I would go to Berkeley and work on this project till like three in the morning. And then I was just doing this for like eight months. And there was like a moment where I woke up and I missed six of my alarms and my boss at Amazon was like, Hey, are you coming into the office today? And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I, I am at a point where this is unsustainable. And I just one a little bit was like, Oh, like, I'm just going to jump into, I was like, I have nothing to lose. Like I'll go back to doing a real job if it doesn't work out. So I worked on Linus full time. So at the time I actually didn't tell my mom because one, I was like, it was zero pay. Like we didn't pay ourselves for like a good year and a half when we started the company. And then, you know, I lost health insurance, like everything, everything that my mom was probably like, don't do so. And then I was like, on top of it, it's a sex toy company. So I actually didn't tell her for a long time. And then uh, one day she was like, hey, I'm going to come visit because I was living in San Francisco. My parents are in L.A. And she was like, let me I just want to see what how you're doing, because you're like not as responsive. You're not calling very often. Uh, and I was like, OK, this is the time that I'm going to just have to tell her. So she came to our 
shared desk space at the time. Um, it was like, you know, 10 different companies. We had like one small desk and I was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm working on a smart sex toy. And I was like explaining to her why it was so important to me. Cause I was like, honestly, like I'm so scared of my own body for me. It's a journey to understand my body better. And I just want to feel like I have ownership of my body is what I explained as best as I could in Korean, but Korean's not amazing. It's like, you know, ends as a six-year-old me leaving Korea. And she was really quiet. And I was really like waiting for her to be like, how could you do this? Like, you know, like you've ruined, you know, whatever, like disown me. Um, and then she was really quiet. And she was like, I used to own a vibrator once. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then for the next two hours, she just, we just sat and she was like, you know, we talked about, different sex things she was like giving me advice I was giving her advice and then she was like when did you lose your virginity like who was it to like show me their picture just we just had this full-blown sex talk that I one never we've never done it again after that and it was the most beautifully disgusting things I've ever done in my life like so beautiful in that I was so appreciative that's how my mom responded because I didn't think that she was going to do that but also disgusting because you know like talking about sex with your parents and then giving each other sex advice is super unnatural and so but I was super grateful and I, I mean I would say to this day I'm not going to say she's like a hundred percent supportive of like oh my daughter's making sex toys like she's very like when are you going to get a real job like do you think it's now time for you to like get into a real career but with that like I think it could have been so much worse and I think um so I'm really appreciative and I think uh, the biggest thing for me is when we finally finished developing our product, I was in China um, at the manufacturing line getting all of it done. So the first one that came off the line, I actually flew straight back to L.A. and I like gave it to her. And I was like, I was like, I don't care if you use it or not, but just know, like, I, I was like, this is what I've been working on for the past four years. This is very, very like special to me. I want you to have it. Um, so I don't know if she used it or not, but I always tell people like, man, like if my mom and I promise you, my mom is very scary. A lot of, I was so scared of her growing up. Like if she can come to a part where she is, can open up about sexual wellness and sexual pleasure. Like I'm like, I'm in the full belief that anyone can do it. So, um, so yeah, overall better than expected. Uh, my real advice to people, especially I think the Asian community, they're always like, dude, how, how do you do that with an Asian parent? I'm always like, you should just scare them. <laughs> if you really take this advice, please do not blame me if it doesn't work. But I always like, dude, scare them a little bit until one day they're just like, you know what? You just do you. And as long as you're happy, that's good enough. Like I did, I was like, I got my first tattoo in 18 and then she like cried hysterically for so long. And then I like shaved my head and then she, and then I started like dyeing my hair all different colors. And I think the last thing before I started Linus is I shaved my head and she was like, not even like, she didn't really bat an eye. She was just like, Oh my God, Anna just does whatever she wants. And then someone else like, oh, I'm making this sex toy company. I think she would just kind of like, all right, like what else can I expect from this child of mine? So I think it helps. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. I got like a little bit emotional when you said, when you told us that story too, because it really reminds me of like my relationship with my mom. Like she wouldn't have my mom. She would never talk to me about sex. Like the only thing she would talk to me about it would be like, don't have sex. Like don't yeah. do it until you get yeah. married. Right. But then when the time actually comes where the conversation actually comes up, like I'll just say like this one time she found a plan B on my desk, you know, mm -hmm. and 
after before that point she would never talk to me about sex but after that point it's like okay maybe i do have to have that conversation with her and they just open up and i think that's how a lot of asian parents are but we we tend to forget that they were once kids too you know like they yes. go through the same things that we do they you know our parents have had to have sex too so they go through very very similar things that we do and 100 yeah and it's like when that conversation comes up they're more open to like open up and talk to you about it and educate you about it and just like exchange experiences and stuff like that and you start to realize like wow i can talk to my parents about this type of thing and um about you saying like just scare them that is so true because <laughs> i feel like once you like rebel and you just do whatever you want to they tend to be like okay you know they've already done this like a b and c i can't be any more surprised if they do x y and z but if you like always just like stay within the lines if you do something that's like just a tiny bit out of the lines they like freak out so i do agree with you that like if you scare them a little bit they, they start to be like okay I will, i'm not even surprised anymore. so before we continue with this disclaimer we're not giving any professional advice here yeah i'm not giving- <laughs> <laughs> no just personal experiences no professional advice. yeah just what worked for me you know that's all like not telling you to do it don't get a tattoo and say that anna encouraged you to do oh my it god. like my god <laughs> I think it's funny too. If anything, yeah, yeah, I have a tattoo as well before I started my entrepreneur journey. And again, like, I think my mom wasn't hysterically sad, but my dad was. He was just like, oh my God, my son has tattoos. He's yeah. an Asian gangster now. <laughs> it's the whole gangster without, yeah. My mom was like, oh my God, like, we can't go to saunas together, like, all this stuff. And I was like, no one's looking. I was like, it's fine. Like, yeah. but yeah, I'm also like, man, like, don't get a tattoo at 18 because it's very regrettable. <laughs> whatever you think is cool at 18 is not cool later out of curiosity is your tattoo like super big or is it just like something really small it's uh it's quite i would say it's like let me see it's like four inches like it's a square like four inches and it's on my rib cage oh wow i was like if i'm gonna do a tattoo i was like <laughs> i'm gonna do it in the most painful. i don't know what i was thinking mm. but it's the it's the ugliest tattoo in existence. It yeah. ended up looking like the black flags. I don't if you know the the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like a black flags tattoo, but it's not. It was supposed to be like Pareto's 80-20 principle, whatever. And then so when I was at Burning Man two years ago, everyone was like, Oh my god, black flags. And I was like, it's not a black flag tattoo. And I, was like, I don't know what's happened. But now I'm like, yeah, it's a black flags tattoo. Because I think it's easier to explain than me being like I know at 18, mean. I was so inspired inspired by Pareto's principle or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I want to talk about the product some more. You know, as you mentioned, you gave your mom the product after working on it for four years, right? And as you're creating this product, what was going through your mind in terms of selecting your target audience, right? Because we know, mm. I, didn't, I think I know, I mean, I don't know. I just assume, this is my assumption, okay? That everyone's different. Right. And I would assume that everyone is different. The ethnicity matters to factors into the type of vibrators and whatever uh, they, they choose to pick. So how did you pick your target niche? And honestly, how did you how did you survey your market to make sure that this is something that people would want? Right. Mm, and how did you get mm-hmm. the conversation started? Because I would imagine like a cold email. Would you like to try a vibrator? It would not come out, right? Like, how did you really mm. gain momentum and traction and feedback on your product? That's also, a great like, question. Competition mm-hmm. too. Like there's so many vibrators out there. So I want to hear your thoughts on like competition. 
Oh, interesting. So, um, yeah, so I guess the first off of like, how did we know that we're building in the right product? We definitely started, you know, with this idea of the AI vibrator. Um, the interesting thing I think we learned a lot and what surprises people is that the amount of beta people willing to beta test is actually really high like uh especially at the time like i was hand we were hand building it It was like 3d printed with silicone we hand casted we were like soldering all the components together um it didn't look amazing and so when we were like hey we have a beta list for testers but then as soon as people hear like a free vibrator people are like oh yeah i'll sign up so then when we had a beta list open it actually oversubscribed we had to close it because we were like just have to make people um and we couldn't build that fast so i think one like it uh, i think uh it really proves something with people are like oh it's a vibrator like it's it's that little threshold of maybe you wouldn't buy one yet or you're like oh i don't know if i want to put money investment into it but when you're like oh you can get one the people are like yeah i totally want to get it um and so when we were doing these beta tests we uh, one of the biggest feedback we got were people saying, oh, like, you know, I kind of know what I like. Like, I know which vibration I would probably keep it at the same. I move it in the sparse particular way or I don't move it once it's kind of hitting the right spot. But then the question that we kept getting was, well, how do you know what I even would like or what you should change the motor settings to? And we were like, oh, like we're actually uh, measuring your biofeedback of like your pelvic floor movements, which is one of the best indicators for arousal and orgasm. And people were like, can I see what that graph looks like? And that was where people were like, this is something that I've never seen. Like you've never seen an orgasm charted out. And then this whole thing of, well, if you change your medication, you have a cup of coffee, something like just any factor, it will change what that graph looks like. And so people are like, that's crazy that you could see like a direct physiological difference, just as if you're tracking sleep or walking or exercise fitness, all of that. So it really became this thing of people being like, I want to know more data. And so we realized that the pivot really was to focus on the data aspect. And like, even if we could be like, here's our suggestions for what you should try next, it was the baseline was that the baseline didn't exist of like even understanding your own sexual function. Like, I think most people, if you're like, Oh, remember the last time you masturbated, what was good about it? What wasn't like, no one really thinks that hard about, you know, like you do it and you like move on with your day. And so we are like, Oh, we need to give people place to pause and think about reflect on what did work, what didn't work, what can make it better, like all of that. So I think that's where we really pivoted. Um, demographic, I, uh, to be very honest, we really did think it was going to end up being more of your late twenties to like mid thirties people. Cause it, more, cause it was like a tech tech product at the beginning. And it was very like IOT device, but the coolest thing I think we've seen is that it's really all walks of life. Like we have people with penises or men who use our products because um, you can get the same data anally. So one, we see that. And then one, we see like a, the biggest community that's super vocal and has given us the most words of encouragement and like per, like some of the purchases is actually your um, older community. So like 50 plus community who are like, oh, like I can't believe a vibrator exists like this. Like I want to know about more about my body or maybe my body changing now and so now I want to know, understand what those factors are um so we actually really have such a wide range I think it's people just curious to learn about their body beyond 
what a regular vibrator can do and like what the data means and people that are mission driven of believing in this idea of expanding the research around it. So I think that's really become the full sweep of the people that we've had as our super fans. We've had a person email us. Um, she was in her seventies or eighties and she was like, I just had my first orgasm because of the lioness. And she's like, I have it like monumentally as a graph. And I was like, that is, I think that like every sad moment of my day, or I'm like, this is not going to work. Or like, what are we going to do with our company? Like, I think I think about that from time to time. And it makes me just so like, we are doing, we're doing this, right. Like we're doing something that makes sense for people. And so, um, it's always been like a big, like, encouragement and then maggie i i can't remember what your question was your competition your thoughts on oh so the sex toy industry is really interesting so when we started seven years ago the coined term sex tech which is you know what investors will use now like here's the sex tech industry femtech industry the term sex tech didn't actually exist so in terms of competition it was more of your kind of old school traditional companies um that have been like of course every woman wants a pink and purple vibrator with butterflies on it like why do we have to change it so really kind of started with that so i would say competition wise uh when people started hearing like there was a smart vibrator coming out with like biofeedback people are like that's not gonna work or you know like why would anyone need this so i think and to this day no one's integrated the technology that we have like there's no other biofeedback vibrator currently out on the market um so it's always a little bit of a weird i think we're in our own space but at the same time like i tell this to people all the time like the sex tech industry is so small if i to me it's as if somebody if another company is winning it's actually a win for everyone in the community because it's a really hard industry to be a part of because there's so much red tape like when we try to open a bank account they're like you're a pornographic company you we can't open a bank account with us and so like anytime there's a win or there's a huge investment into made into a company that's actually a proof point for everyone to be like this is a industry worth investing in to grow in and like change the narrative around it so i would say like competition wise it's really hard to be like yeah, we have to keep it super secret. Like anytime I, people DM me and they're like, I have a sex toy idea. I'm like, yeah, let me know. Like, let me help. Like, okay. Like what advice do you want? And stuff like that. Um, yeah, I just want to see people like growing in this field and especially have more representation. I think it's still a pretty, uh, specific representation in this community. We're seeing a lot of more women, but I think in terms of like, people that look like me or people of color, like all that stuff is so still limited. And so like, I would love to just see more people come into the space like that. Yeah. I mean, shout out to you. It's, it's a really tough industry to be in because there's a lot of stigmas against it. And I know particularly fundraising must be insanely hard for you because you have to frame your narrative in a way where it's like technically not pornographic, but more tech based. And that's like one, mm-hmm. when you look at companies like, OnlyFans or Pornhub, like they can't raise institutional money because of the the stigma against it, right? So with that being said, how did you fundraise? It's I would imagine like this is probably one of the most difficult things you have you have to do to talk to investors and really get them in the right frame of mind. Um, and it really shows me how gritty you really are because you know you're you are what Forbes thirty under thirty. Congratulations, congratulations on that. And on top of that, just continuing on for seven years, that's that's a remarkable amount of time to be committed to any sort of project, right? Seven years. 
So what yeah. was that? What was that fundraising process for you and bootstrapping and all that stuff? Because I'm pretty sure it daunted on your mind a lot, a lot in the early years. Yeah, I mean, I think for sure, like um, we did it. I think even beyond being a sex tech company, there's a lot of interesting factors that played into it that it, I always joke, like we probably chose the hardest thing to want to do, like as first time founders, uh, consumer hardware is not a sexy space to be in. Hardware is a really hard space to like get investment in because it's so much capital up front. And then, um, and then on top of it being sex tech, people being like, it's a sexual company. So a lot of investors sometimes would be like, oh, our partners are not okay with it. They're super religious or whatever, whatever the thing is, or it's super male dominated. So a lot of times they're like, my, my wife doesn't masturbate. And then you're like, okay, like, thank you for that information. Like that has nothing to do with anything, but, um, they use it as like a proof point of like, oh, you know, vibrators are a super niche thing. So it's a wide scope. We definitely, I think just as first time founders, like beyond this fact that it's sex tech, I think we just, it was a big learning curve, right? It's so hard to really navigate what you're, how you're supposed to do it correctly, trying to follow other people's methods of how they did it. It's just never going to work for how you're working. I think the biggest lessons we learned. Um, so we did end up raising our like pre-seed and it, our team, I, I like always have to give shouts to our team. We're incredibly small, but it's, I can't imagine any other set of people that would have been able to launch a project product that was with this much low, like not capital intensive. And then also just getting the product out there as fast as we did is like an incredible thing. And my team, I have nothing but like love and thanks to my team for getting that to happen. Um, so we did our, we did invite like a fundraising round. And then we also did our Indiegogo at the time. Cause it was the only time way to prove uh, via crowdfunding that this was a product that was going to do well, or people actually wanted a product like this. Cause there wasn't any other product to really compare ourselves to. Um, so those two things happening. And then, um, I think the biggest lesson I've learned about fundraising, like I think it could deaden a lot of people. A lot of people get so scared by it, but to me, it's like, you have to like, whatever your product is, like you have, like for us, like we always say like, we're looking for the dreamers, the beautiful weirdos, the people that are willing to just think outside of what, I don't know, like, especially in Silicon Valley, this like idea of, you know, big tech and VR, AR, just like all sorts of, you know, like beyond that and people being like, dang, this is actually something super innovative. I'm interested and in just having those weird, like beautiful weirdos. And I mean, then the most best way possible. Um, so I think we don't look actually for traditional, like, name you know like big names of like oh you know this is going to be really big like we're looking for people that really believe one in our mission and then two understanding beyond like hey this isn't exist like this is absolutely going to be a pioneering project like you're either in it or not so i think we've gotten less delicate of feeling like oh my god i'm going to talk to this person i'm so scared because now i'm like Hey, I'm Anna. Like, do you want to talk about like vibrators with me? Like ask me any question you've ever had about sex, vibrators, masturbation, anything like I'm here to answer. Cause like, I'm telling you, like as a person that I've been scared of my body, like this is where I am seven years from now because of the lioness. Like 
ask me anything. So I think we come in more of just of like, Hey, like, I don't know what else we can prove beyond we've survived for seven years. Mm -hmm. We've launched two products. Like we've done hardware with like very little capital. Like, you know, we have the right team. So like, what else do you need beyond that at this point? So I'm that I'm saying is like, this is a past year learned thing of just being like, I feel super confident in what we've built. Like, of course, the imposter syndrome, the past six years was like so heavy. And so like, are we doing the right thing? What am I doing with my life? My friends are buying houses and having babies. Like, what am I doing? Like, you know, all of those things. And I like, really for me, like last year was like, all of that was like, damn, like, I'm really proud of what we've built and like what we're doing. I think it's like the right thing. And I feel very confident and feeling good about it. So, um, yeah, ask me maybe when we do another fundraising round being like, how did it go? Like, how Mm -hmm. did you, how did you navigate it differently? But I would be like, are we kicked ass? Like I came (laughs) in full force. Like, um, cause we used to be scared to even be like, Hey, it's a vibrator. we talked about it such in a medical sense, but now I just feel like it's a vibrator. It's doing cool medical stuff. It's doing cool research stuff, but it's a vibrator. Like, touch it like we built it like all this stuff i would be so much more upfront about it now awesome i hope this is not too personal to ask but like how has your own sexual journey evolved throughout creating this product because i the way that i I guess like the way that i'm listening to all your your story it's so interesting to hear like you evolve not not only the company evolved right but you also evolve yourself along with the product as well like what, what was your sexual journey I hope it's not too private to ask this question. On no, this not at all. Like, what was that like, like as you're creating this and fully believe? Because you, to me, you're a person that fully embodies the mission of the, that you're trying to to build, right? That's that mm-hmm. is a perfect mm-hmm. sign of like a very passionate founder, right? I'm just kind of curious because I know like, and when our own Asian hustle network community, any any Asian community, you still huge stigma against talking about sex. The conversation like these are still very very fascinating to a lot of people. And I just want to hear from your personal journey too. Like, what was that process like for you? What was the journey like? Totally. Yes. Super happy to answer it. Um, yeah. So I, to dive a little bit deeper. So I, when I say I was scared of my body, like I experienced some trauma when I was a kid. And so that was what made me feel like I don't, I don't own my own body. Like I don't deserve like this whole narrative in my head of like, I don't deserve sexual pleasure for myself. Cause like, I don't own my body is the way I thought about it. Like growing up my entire life, well into my mid like twenties of having relationships and people being like, Oh, well, what do you want? And I think a lot of times, especially, and I hear this is like really common story. The same for me is like, I learned about sex and sexual pleasure because of my first, like losing my virginity and like having a partner. So you learn it a lot of times in the scope of somebody else, like their experience, their pleasure, what they think that sex should feel like or sexual pleasure should feel like all of that. So I think like that was so much unlearning for me. And there's this always like constant narrative of like, if you're in a relationship, you're not, you know, you don't need to masturbate or you don't need to have a toy. Like there's like that constant narrative I hear to this day. And I think a lot of times you're like, well, does that make me like weird? Does that make me too hypersexual? So true. Yeah. And then, um, like I've had relationships where when I was working online, it's like early days, they were like, Hey, like, don't tell my friends what you do. Or like, they won't tell their parents, but they like, I do like a lot of like shame. So I think that in itself, I was like, Oh, like, am I, like what, you know, you have this question of like, what's wrong with me or like, am I broken? And so for me, like, I think 
I mean, also, I'm not going to uh, like negate therapy. Like I've had therapy since I was like in graduate right after graduating college and like knowing about therapy, first of all, was like, super helpful. But on top of it, like it was it was the journey of Linus for me is like learning about my body of being like, oh, these are just physiological reactions. And then being able to be like, hey, when I drink a cup of coffee, it makes me actually feel so much more pleasure. But when I drink alcohol, it makes me not enjoy it as much or I'm not as feeling as much sensation and giving me the tools to talk about it in such a almost in a matter of fact way. And it made me super excited to be able to do that instead of being like, hey, I feel like, you know, the foreplay sucks or, you know, like something that feels super argumentative and like sometimes people can take personally i was just like oh for me it just takes this long like i need it to be their specific way like it just became i felt like i was becoming just more empowered about myself and to the point where i was like yeah i'm gonna start like an instagram where i just talk about everything i've ever learned about sex or on like on tiktok to talk about like here are the things let's I've talk tried about that let's talk about that yeah <laughs> let's talk about tiktok and instagram you know it's uh yes so for you guys that don't know please follow anna on uh her instagram and tiktok because it's very educational but also very entertaining so anna let's talk more about the, your yeah social media yes so i've really been um it really started actually from instagram like one of my friends was i forgot what question he asked me but it was one of those questions i was like damn you've known me for this long and i've never explained like i don't maybe i was like what kind of what materials is a safe for a vibrator to buy and i was like my god like i can't believe i didn't do my job to like for you to know that answer and so like my instagram was you know it's super tiny it was even like it was just my friends at the time and i was like i'm gonna just do a series of things i've learned about sex because i've learned so many random things over the past seven years of like that we clearly don't get in sex education for most people so i started this like really random story on my instagram stories of like here's what i learned about the history of sex like sex toys where do sex toys come from why are they the way they are now like just random stuff um and then people were like kept like messaging me like oh my god like i had no idea and it's it's things that i take for granted of like that i've known for so long now i'm like oh yeah everyone knows that you're never supposed to use a jade egg or whatever and then i realize it's not common knowledge so I started being like, oh, I should just post this on social media. Um, and then it ended up being just ending up on TikTok of like, here, like quick thing I've learned or like I read so many sex research papers that I was like, like, here's a research paper on um, relationships where people know about your vibrator usage and how that increases romantic like relationships, builds a strong relationship, like literal research proof on it. Um, and then I was like, here's my data on like uh, drinking coffee versus not having coffee, like stuff like that. And I realized like the community really built itself because I really didn't expect it at all. And it just kind of proves the point of how much lack of information there is and how desperate people are to get information. Um, and there's a lot of questions I can't answer. It's like a lot of medical questions or research that has never existed before. Uh, but it's just like, man, so many people want to know things um, and it doesn't have to feel gross or scary or being like, oh my God, we have to talk about sex. So I try to talk about it in like as much as me being like, I'm still on this journey. I'm still learning stuff about myself. I'm still learning the right terms, the right language, right ways to talk about stuff. And I'm just like hoping people kind of come on the journey of me being like, this is what I learned and like all of that. So um, I would like to call it a 
a little placeholder until sex education in the state and country and the world gets significantly better than it is currently. Yeah, I mean, I love I love your energy. I love your vibes. You know, it's how you are in your TikTok videos and your Instagram videos. It's just how you are in this podcast. I'm very bubbly, very oh, lively, very educational. And it just shows that you are very authentic to your branding and who you are as a person. And it kind of shows us on the podcast, too, that you are very comfortable with who you are. And we love that. You know, we want to see more oh, of that. I appreciate you. So we love that a lot. Um, I, know, I know we touched base on this earlier, but what was that term? point for you where you started to shed your imposter syndrome and you're like wow mm. we're making it like we are this is going to be this is going to be a real thing you know it's i know you mentioned like the first couple of years like first year and a half you didn't pay yourself you're struggling you doubted yourself your friends are buying houses but look at you now like your company is almost seven uh your forbes 30 under 30 what was that major turning point where you're like wow we kept we kept going mm. we never quit um, that's a question. I, for me, it really wasn't any of the, like as much as I'm, I'm super grateful to be like listed as a under 30 at Forbes, like all of those different things, but it felt again, so imposter syndrome of like, you see other people on the list and you're like, Oh my God, they're like, you know, finding cures for like different diseases. Like, what am I doing? Like, what am I really doing? And you start kind of going into this whole, like, did I make it because I'm like, because they just, I don't know, someone like accidentally boosted it or like, I don't know, you just start having all these like things. And if anything, it, I feel like a lot of times it adds to it because you, I think people think there's a certain presence that you have, then you're like, you know, you're underwater, like swimming and you're like frantic, like a duck, right? And then you're like, oh, I'm doing all these things, but you're coming off. So like, yeah, we're, you know, we're great. Like there's no, I think startup life is absolutely not glamorous. Um, I, I don't love that in, especially in Silicon Valley, there's so much like glamorization of startup culture, like all of that, like, oh, you're supposed to grind yourself down to the bone. Like, I don't love that. Um, so I think for me, I think maybe the turning point was really last year. I was just, I, the only thing I can remember is like, I was like driving uh, home or something to the city. And then I just had this moment of like, I think maybe it's like finding moments of gratitude and like just grateful for what you've done. And then just being like, damn, we've been around for seven years. And then I had a moment of, is that too long? Like maybe we should be exiting or, you know, doing that classic unicorn journey as a Silicon Valley company. And then being like, you know, all these things. And then I just started being like, Oh my God, we're one first time founders. Like this is a, already against the statistics of surviving this long as three on like first time founders We're two women founders. Our team is almost entirely women, uh, like including the tech team, every t a part of the team. Um, and then just being like, and working on things that like, I never thought I, I thought I was going to be so strictly engineering. And now I'm doing like, you know, the world of marketing world of media world, just everything that I like never thought I would be doing. And then being like, um, just realizing like hardware companies don't usually survive very long. It's a really, really hard space. And just being like, man, we did that. We did that with five people at the time. Like, 
Um, my founder, my co-founder and I were like sleeping in the dorms in the Chinese manufacturing facilities to save money. And then also like be right next to the facility as soon as it opened, as, like until it closed, like the last minute, like all of those things. And just like, man, like our journey has been insane. Like I can't imagine what else I would do. And I think the question's always like, okay, well, if you aren't doing this company, would you do another startup? And I think like, for me, I'm so mission driven. Like it has to be something I resonate so deeply with of being like, I think that's the only thing that keeps, I don't know, for me, like keeps me going is like, well, like, yeah, like really stable income and being sick and being like, Hey, I'm not coming to work. And a corporation being like, okay, that's fine. Like there's like 20,000 other people that's covering for you would be nice. Having like amazing um, health insurance would be super nice. Like there's all these things that could be nice, but I think um, I really thought about like what my values are in life and everyone's values are different. So you can't knock like a person killing it in a corporate job. Like if that value is there, like, yeah, that's so amazing. I think for me, I realized like I was really fulfilling my values, but I was really maybe the past years comparing my values to someone else's values and being like, well, their values to make a lot of money and then have a, you know, yeah, start a family as soon as possible. And I realized like, I can't compare it myself to that because my values are different. And so, um, I think as soon as I realigned my, what my values were and then realized that I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. And I could be like to my high school self being like, damn, you're killing it. And with everything that you've wanted to do after you graduate, I felt like really like at peace with myself. And I think that was probably like all the things I was going around in my brain of just being like, yeah, I'm like doing this. I'm doing the thing that I wanted to do. And then just leaving it at that. I think also age just helps a little bit. Like, uh, the, like, I definitely believe like you, like in the twenties, you really go through like this whole, like you finding yourself, like, what am I doing? And then as soon as I, I just turned 30, uh, this year and I was like, really, there was like a turning point of me being like, man, I really don't care what people think about me. I'm just, I'm just doing what I can, the best I can. And it felt really free and I'm sure it only gets better as you keep aging and you just keep experiencing life. I love it. Oh my gosh. You have had such a crazy journey and it's just so amazing to hear. And I just, I like Brian mentioned, I can just feel that you just own who you are, you know, and if you had told us that you were scared to talk about vibrators or lioness to, you know, potential investors, I would have not even believed you because of how confident you are in your own skin and confident about your own product and your own company. And it, to be honest, like, yes, it is natural for us to compare ourselves to others, right? But you are literally changing lives, Anna. Like, you know, going back to the fact that, like, people were interested in getting a free vibrator. I think a lot of people, myself included, like, I didn't feel comfortable with buying a vibrator. Like, I was never confident enough to do that. You know, I, I was always very scared to go into a store and buy something like that. But if I had mm -hmm. heard like, oh, there's a free vibrator, like, yes, I'd be way down to get something like that. Like it's for market research, you know, yes. <laughs> or it's for research yeah. for my own body, you know? Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, you are literally changing lives and some people don't get to experience an orgasm for their entire lives. And to hear people say that they've had their first orgasm at the age of 70, something that is amazing. You're like literally breaking barriers and helping others understand there's so much more to sexual wellness industry other than, you know, the stigmas that we hear on a day-to-day -day basis. No, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's been, it's the whole, it's totally been a fun, like, it's such a trip. I think what we've like gone through in the past, like there's so many funny things that's happened. There's so many like 
crazy things that's happened to us. Um, and there's moments when you're like, I'm going to keep a list of all the companies that have said like no to us or uh, banned us from stuff or like all sorts of fun stuff. At the same time, you're like, man, you get, like we can't, you can't live like that. You just have to have total fun with it. Um, so I think that's also a good way to like keep creativity alive in small businesses is like, uh, instead of getting bitter, it's like, dude, we should do something funny about this is always the kind of cure for all of it and just being creative. Yeah. I mean, very off topic, but when we, when I mentioned to Maggie that, Hey, like we should get Anna on the podcast. She kept giggling. She's like, Oh, I'm so excited <laughs> for this podcast. You know, and she kept looking really, really forward to this. So thank yes. you so much for being on the show. Like I, we truly appreciate that and we'll continue to support in any way that we can. So we do have, um, one final question. And that question is what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur trying to break into, I don't know how to say this, uh, unconventional space, because there is a mm-hmm. lot of barrier to entry and not just from like a barrier entry, like barrier to entry, but like from a mental barrier as well. What advice do you have for them? That's a good question. Um, I would say, I would say two things. Uh, one's more recent one I've been harping since like five years ago. Uh, the more recent one is I, I truly believe there's nothing that there's no entrepreneurship DNA. The only thing I think that makes somebody survive in it is just doing it. Like I realized the biggest friction is just like to do it. Cause you'll, you can constantly talk about like what you want to do, like what your dreams are, but the only difference of somebody that's has a business or doesn't or start their entrepreneurship journey is to just do it. And yes, it's going to feel like, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? But as long as you're doing it is like all you can really do. And then you keep at it is like the only difference that is like between an entrepreneur or not. Um, the other one that I always like harp on since like five years ago is like to really focus on your intersections of skills versus like your core skills. So for me, I was so harping on like being a good engineer. And I was like, I want to be known as a really good engineer. Like I need to only do engineering stuff. I only want to run engineering projects, stuff like that. Like it's not conducive to building a business because there's so much more that goes into a business beyond the engineering aspect of it. Um, and there's a lot of engineers that are going to be really, really good, probably better than what you're doing. And that that goes for like any skill set, any hobby, right. But really what the intersection of what you do and your passions and the other things you like doing, like that's what's going to make you the special talent. That's going to make you the only person that can do the business that you're doing. So for me, it's like, well, I'm already super passionate about sexual wellness and doing the science behind it and doing the engineering. And now like, man, like I'm, I would love to tell people as much as possible about it. And that all combines into the strength of, I think our company and the brand that we felt. And so, um, I always say like, think about where your intersections are. And even if it's things that you would never think intersect with each other, I promise it comes back. Like I always say like, uh, I was like always been really into like skincare stuff. And I was like, I don't, I think this is just something I like, but now I'm like, we talked to a lot of like, like beauty influencers of like figuring out, you know, like, Oh, like how do we talk about sex in a way that makes sense. And, uh, the connection of already knowing, like, I already watched so many beauty influencers like that. I just genuinely love and stuff like that being like, these are the people that I want to reach out to because I know exactly like I've always loved them. Um, and so it's really cool to kind of start seeing those intersections, like all come together. So I hate when people are like, 
oh, you shouldn't do that hobby. It's a waste of time. Maybe I should be working instead. Like, dude, do the things that you like doing because it makes you like a whole person and it makes you the person that can run your company and not like uh, just an engineer. I don't know I'm engineer specific, but yeah, it relates to any skill set. Uh, as a fellow engineer or former engineer, <laughs> I totally know what you mean. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. I tell engineers all the time, like take writing class. I would like, if I can go back in time, I would have took philosophy classes, writing classes and so many more humanities courses. Like I hate this whole like glorified engineering, what everything is like, damn, like that only gets me so far. Yeah, I know. I remember Brian was like, I want to be the best engineer. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people tend to think that way. You know, they want to be the best in one specific thing, but you know, to be all encompassing and to be a good founder, you have to be good at, you know, you have to do and try different things and just be very versatile and, and as yeah. another, another disclaimer being a founder is freaking hard so it's, yeah. it's not as fun <laughs> and carefree as we make this podcast sound but it's extremely difficult <laughs> and it forces you to look really deep sometimes sometimes too deep you're like man what am i doing you're gonna ask yourself that question all the time as a founder right and it never goes away yeah. unfortunately it's very soul-searching um Yes, and that's why maybe my other real very realistic advice is like if you can and have access to therapy, get there. Like I just I say like everyone should have get therapy. Like it's gonna it's the one thing I think keeps me sane of like a sanity check beyond like my friends and you know people that know me. And it's like nice to get some outside perspective of like why am I thinking like this or like why like how do I get better at this or like all of this stuff. Um, yeah, it's a constant soul searching as a founder you're just like and you're constantly like working with other people you're trying to build other people up too and you're like man like am i prepped to do this so uh yes being a founder is such an interesting i always like love just such a side story but like when people are like oh how are you doing and it's like people that aren't in the entrepreneurship space and you're like oh it's good like, it's awesome. And you're like, yeah, awesome. Like, that's so cool. But I always, when I get on calls with like other founders, I'm always like, how's everything? And everyone, both of us are like, <sighs> like it's like, you know, like, we're surviving. And like, it's just a funny, like, I mean, it's so fun, but it's just a funny thing to like, it, I, the way I respond, I think is always so different depending on who I'm talking to. Yeah. <laughs> so accurate. Don't worry. We can yeah. start after this podcast. <sighs> yeah. I feel like Brian and I, we Remin always a little... open our Zoom calls like that. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, the like, usual. How's it going? like, okay, we're surviving. We're surviving. You know, like it's good. It's good. Like, <laughs> Well, Anna, thank you so much for that advice. Um, I want to give our listeners an opportunity to find you and Lioness online. So tell us how we can find you online. Yes. Yeah, so our website is Lioness, uh, like the female lion.io. Um, our Instagram, our social media handles is Lioness Health, which is also a really fun account. And then my personal account for Instagram is Anna is average. And my TikTok is Anna the average. I'll merge it at some point, but that's what it's one, one one quick 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 question. Why is it called Anna is average? Oh, can I tell the stories or time? Yeah. <laughs> it's really yes. short. But I I this is such a classic of my personality, I feel like. Uh, so in college, you know when you first enter freshman year, like if you're with like your dorm, they're like do icebreakers. And I was like, this is how I'm gonna reinvent myself. I wanna be known as like so funny, like I'm gonna be great. And so the icebreaker was to do your like first 
the first letter of your name, like an adjective and then your name, right? Like awesome Anna or whatever. And I was like, in my head, I was like, it's gonna be so funny if I say average Anna, like I just thought it was like funny at the time. And so I said it out loud when it was my turn and everybody was like, oh my God, don't say that about yourself. Like, girl, you're not average. You're amazing. And then everyone went around saying like different adjectives starting with the letter A. That's like, oh, awesome. Amazing. Like, and I was so horrified. And so the rest of the year in my dorm, people were like, <laughs> thought of me as this like very low self-esteem, just like sad girl. And I was like, <laughs> And so now I like, that's what I made my Instagram like very long time ago. And uh, yeah, to this day, people are like, you're not average, like all this stuff. And I have to explain the story every single time. I'm glad we got the backstory. I was about to be like, Anna, you're not, you're not average. You're awesome. <laughs> well, maybe my humor is average is maybe the better no, no, information both, about it. But... Awesome. But I'm keeping it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're both average. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <kidding>. exactly. <laughs> But yeah, uh, thank you so much again for being on the podcast today. It's an awesome episode and we definitely enjoyed it. And thank you so much again. Thank, yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. I appreciate you both. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes. So be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday. So stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.